0: And welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. How are you? Did you drink any water today? If not, grab a tall glass and sit back while I tell you some excellent scary stories by two incredibly talented authors. First, though, I wanted to say a huge thank you to Ash, who has been running the Scare You to Sleep Discord server. I have a link in the show notes if you want to join us. It's been really Active, it's been great, and Ash has been doing an incredible job creating so many fun channels and keeping everything moving along so well. And some quick news before we begin: all the merch in the Tea Public store will be on sale for up to 35% off from February 10th through 12th. I should be adding some new designs too as well for those of you who have been asking. The link to the store is in the show notes. Now, let's get on with the episode. I have two very different stories for you tonight. First up is a story by an author who would like to go by their Twitter handle, RooterDoot. I'll link that in the show notes. They have for us a tale set in a galaxy far, far away. This is home. Cold wind, battered sand and dust across the barren landscape. It had been a long journey for Kara. Over 2,000 light years away, her pilgrimage had begun. And here, on this uncharted and unnamed barren wasteland of a planet, it was sure to end. For hours, she had trodden through the bleak night with no help in
1: sight. Twenty-five minutes of oxygen remaining.
0: The landing hadn't been kind to her. Debris had punctured several vital systems in her ship as she dropped from warp speed to let her engines cool. This had forced her to land on the closest planet. The ship had been trashed beyond repair on impact, leaving the cockpit mostly intact, but not airtight. The emergency beacon had been lost after the same space debris had ripped through the ship's small cargo hold. Stranded and alone on this desolate rock, Kara decided to pass the time by walking through the dark desert. 20
1: minutes of oxygen remaining.
0: For what seemed like an eternity, Kara had walked in silence, content to listen to the rushing wind and her own breath inside her tight spacesuit. The walking had proved more laborious than she had expected at first, with the planet's gravity being slightly higher than she was used to, and her injuries from the impact Keeping her movement at a constant pace, a bit slower than she'd have liked at the time. From time to time, she'd look back and see the bright flame of her burning engine across the flat desert.
1: Fifteen minutes of oxygen remaining.
0: Kara's mind often thought back to the moment she took off from home on her mission, seeing her mother insist her. Waving goodbye while failing not to cry as Kara boarded her small spacecraft. It seemed so long ago now that it felt like it had happened in another lifetime to her. She wondered how her life might have differed if she had stayed put. Pointless now to think of such things, given her current situation. But the brain has such strange coping mechanisms.
1: Ten minutes of oxygen remaining.
0: Kara thought about how things might have been different if she had finished, if she had reached her destination. She might have made it to her ancestral homeworld of blue oceans and green forests. A world full of civilization, both huge. And tiny. She had dreams of settling down with a handsome man in the countryside, perhaps running a livestock farm, maybe having a couple of children of her own. It was to be a life that was a hell of a lot different from working as a grease monkey on an interstellar cruiser like everyone else in her family has done for the last 12 generations.
1: Five minutes of oxygen remaining.
0: Her muscles ached. Her breathing labored. The impact had probably broken at least one bone somewhere. Her sternum ached where the safety harness had held her to the seat when the ship fell. She'd never felt this much agony before. Despite working as a mechanic, she lived in relative luxury and rarely had suffered anything worse than a scratch or scrape she had been lucky in that regard it hit her for a moment that she may never experience the pain of bringing new life into this universe and she felt a tear well up inside she pushed the thought aside and kept walking
1: for minutes of oxygen remaining.
0: Dawn was fast approaching. It seemed to Kara that this planet had a relatively short day cycle. She felt glad that she would at least see one last sunrise in this
1: lifetime. Three minutes of oxygen remaining.
0: As the star began to beam over the mountains of the horizon. Kara's visor was going berserk with warnings. Low oxygen, high toxicity, rising external temperature. It was clear to Kara that this planet was extremely close to the local star, and there may be chlorine under the ground, being evaporated by the hot temperatures. She ignored the warnings. Nothing that could be done about them now.
1: Two minutes of oxygen remaining.
0: Despite still being in the long shadow cast by the distant mountains, Kara could feel the air around her steadily heat up. The external temperature gauge reading 55 degrees Celsius in the shade. She was almost impressed by the raw power of the approaching star.
1: One minutes of oxygen remaining.
0: As the light enveloped her being, the temperature gauge ramped up to the triple digits. Kara stopped where she was. She closed her eyes and took a deep breath. She thought back to when she was eight years old Telling her father she wanted to grow up and move to Earth and become a farmer. He had smiled and patted her on the head. He told her that if she worked hard, anything was possible. I tried, Dad. She finally said, holding back her welling emotions. I tried, and that's what
1: matters. Oxygen. Reserves. Depleted. Seek. Assistance.
0: (laughs) She removed her helmet. To welcome the new dawn. Face. To face.
1: Vital. Signals. Lost. Seek. Assistance.
0: This next story was sent in by author Tracy Carville, and you all know how much I love spooky lighthouses and things like that, so you'll all know how excited I was to receive this story and how excited I am for you all to hear it. This is The Lighthouse Keeper. Since I was a little boy, the lighthouse that watches over our town's little harbor has fascinated me. Night after night, after my mother had put me to bed, I would sneak out from under the sheets and over to the window, poke my head beneath the curtains, and gaze out over the town to the harbor at the bottom of the hill, where the softly flickering yellow light of the lighthouse was always visible, no matter what the weather My father, who was a watchmaker and had a keen mind for how things worked, carefully explained to me how the light was magnified in lighthouses by clever contraptions built of mirrors and glass. But in my mind, it was always a bright, roaring bonfire, somehow confined in a tiny room on top of a tower. I was not the only one to be fascinated by that light. I had grown up hearing stories about the old lighthouse, from the gossiping wives in the market square, and the salty old sailors tending their fishing boats at the harbor's edge, from the pub landlord and the boy who delivered our newspaper each morning. The tales they whispered to each other, and to me when my parents weren't listening, were cold and frightening. They spoke of how the light never dimmed or died away, how no one had ever seen who tended it, never seen them come out for food, or for exercise, or to swap places with another lighthouse keeper, and how not even the harbor master seemed to know who it was who kept the fire burning up there. And as the hour grew later, and the world outside the windows grew darker, they would speak of how, sometimes, a person might go wandering near the lighthouse after dark, and never be seen. Or heard from again. My father would scoff at these last stories, stating, quite reasonably, that anyone who went wandering around the clifftops at night ought not to expect to come home, that they most likely fell to their deaths on the rocks below and had no one to blame but themselves. But still, occasionally, those dark stories would surface on the conversations of the townsfolk like rotting flotsam on the tide. They were quite rare, though, because no one went walking near the lighthouse at night anymore. The story that gripped me most, however, was the occasionally whispered rumor that, every once in a while, the lights in the lighthouse would burn blue. No one knew why, and no one seemed to have witnessed it themselves, It was always a tale that started with my neighbor told me, or a man my father once knew, or the like. When I sat up at night, watching the flickering yellow light down by the harbor, I would hope and hope that I would see it turn blue for myself just once, and I would sit up until my eyelids drooped and I was close to falling asleep at the windowsill. But I never saw it turn blue. As I grew older, my curious mind became enamored with other, more tangible mysteries. I became fascinated with the new technologies of the day. My father bought us a gramophone and I would listen to it for hours, wondering at how the voices and music had been frozen forever. A moment of time captured on those curious little cylinders. My older brother, who was studying to be a solicitor, Came home from his university one Christmas with a typewriter for me as a present, and I would type away on it until my parents pleaded with me to stop, driven to distraction by its loud clattering. I loved the sounds it made, and the way the words appeared on the crisp white paper so clearly and neatly. Why, I wondered, would anyone ever use a pen again? It was rather inevitable, I suppose that I would follow my father into his trade. When I was still a young boy, I was helping him with the watches, marveling at how the tiny cogs fitted together in just such a way to make the hands tick round at just the right speed to keep accurate time. I plied my father with silly questions, such as who decided how long a second was, and was there a big clock somewhere that kept time for the whole world? He bore them with patience and taught me the things that mattered. I didn't bother with university like my brother. Everything I needed to know in the world was right there, at home. In the fullness of time, my brother moved to the city, my father died, and I inherited his little watchmaker's shop on the high street. My mother missed him terribly but would tell me that she took comfort in how like him I was and how proud she was of me and my brother both. His intellect and ambition had come from her, and she had always wanted to travel and do great things with her life, but there were no such possibilities open to women when she was young enough to pursue them, so instead, she lived through her children, as women often did in those times. She would say that my brother was like her as much as I was like my father and that they would live on in the two of us, and this comforted her. It seemed an odd sort of immortality to me, and when she too passed on, I cursed it for a while, missing her as much as I did. But if I have learned anything from the things that have happened to me, it is that nothing lasts forever, but rather, time has a way of renewing, And repeating in slightly different ways. My mother lived on in my brother, my father in me, and as time passed and my mother's loss grew less painful, I met and fell in love with a young woman who was a lot like her. Her name was Josephine, and she had the same passionate spirit and would talk to me for hours about the new woman, and how before too long, women would stand equal to men in all things, and study and work alongside them, and have just as much freedom in their lives as men did. I would wonder to her what would become of the family home, who would raise the children, and together we would weave strange and wondrous fantasies about the way things would be in the future. Her with her visions of a new society. Me with my crazy imaginings of new and impossible technologies and machines. It was a future that seemed strange and exciting and incredible. We quickly married, and after a few years, she bore me a child. A beautiful little girl we named Eve. Now I had a new mystery to ponder. How we had together created a new life. A tiny, fragile creature that would one day blossom into a person. A complete individual with her own ideas and thoughts and future. One day, she would have a child herself, and that child would grow up to have a child, and so on. And my mother's view of immortality suddenly started to make sense to me. And even through those many years... I would look out of the window from time to time, and see the light from the lighthouse, flickering yellow in the darkness, the same as it had ever been. And I would still hear those old stories, from different mouths with different names in them, but always the same. No one knows who keeps the light in the lighthouse burning, don't go near the lighthouse at night, and a friend of a friend saw the light once burn blue. It nagged at me, this strange little beacon of permanence. It seemed to me to defy the order of the world around it. Day and night the light burned, even when the sun blazed and visibility along the coast was perfect. No one ever saw any living soul go in or out of the door at the base of the lighthouse. No one delivered food or fuel to that doorstep. It sat apart from the structured order of the world, where everything had its place, where each thing worked at its task, supporting those around it, and when one failed, another would take its place, and the world would tick on, in perfect synchronization. Not that lighthouse. It just... kept burning. When I mentioned it to Josephine... She would laugh. (laughs) Just because nobody has seen people go into the lighthouse doesn't mean that nobody does, she would point out perfectly logically. When I wondered at how the light never went out, she would just remark that the lighthouse keeper was evidently very good at his job. And of course, I would agree with her. Who wouldn't? What she said made perfect sense but still, it burned. Still, it burned. I had taken to smoking a pipe in the evenings, stepping out into the garden to keep the smell out of the house, and when the weather was fine, Josephine and Eve would join me. One summer evening, we were sitting on the bench we had placed in the garden for ourselves, Josephine was keeping a keen eye on Eve, who toddled about in the grass, investigating the flowers that Josephine had planted, and now and then beaming up at us for encouragement. I had been watching the sky slowly darken, its colors fading from blue through pinks and yellows to indigo and black, the stars peeking through the display as the light died, and my eye fell, as it often did, upon the lighthouse by the harbor at the bottom of the hill. Its yellow light seemed to grow stronger as the night closed in, but I knew that it was just the same as it had always been. Then, just for a second, I saw it flare blue. I was on my feet in an instant, and Josephine, thinking something was wrong, was at my side a moment later. I saw it, I exclaimed. I saw the light turn blue. She looked at me incredulously. That's just a story, she admonished. You're letting your imagination run away with you again, dear. I denied it, but when she picked up Eve and told me to come inside, I followed quietly. Already my mind was starting to question what I had seen. It was only for an instant. Could I be so sure I hadn't imagined it? I had always wanted to see the light turn blue. By the time we retired to bed, I had played the moment over and over in my head and I was certain I had seen it. I hadn't imagined it. The story was true. And if that story was true, what of the others? I tossed and turned in bed, pondering it all, until my poor wife's frustrated sighs caused me to get up, dress lightly, and go downstairs to read. But once downstairs, I found I still couldn't settle. The light of the lighthouse seemed to be beckoning me, even when I couldn't see it. And more than once, I found myself standing at the window peering out at it through the dark, where it burned its usual flickering yellow. I couldn't bear it. I had to know. Quiet as a mouse, I put on my shoes and coat and crept out through the back door, which creaked less. I didn't dare open the rusty old gate, which we barely used at the back of the garden, And I must have looked such a sight, climbing over it in my hastily thrown-on attire, at that ridiculous hour. But, propriety and reason were lost to me at that moment. I felt like a thief in the night as I ran lightly down the road toward the harbor, avoiding the hazy glow of the gas lamps. I didn't know what I would say to explain myself if anyone saw me. I didn't do things like this, but I had to know. Our town was only a small one, and before long I was standing at the end of the narrow path that led up around the top of the cliffs that formed our pretty little harbor to the lighthouse. The way was well lit from the light from above, though deep shadows fell everywhere, from the fence posts, the trees, and from the lighthouse itself, so I had to tread carefully. Now time seemed to stretch as I made my way along that long path, and it seemed like an age had passed before I was at last standing before the lighthouse door. The shadows stole the details from me, but the door handle felt rusty beneath my hand. I half expected it not to turn, but it did, and with a shriek of neglected hinges, the door slowly swung open before me. I stepped inside, into bright yellow light and warmth. It would have seemed welcoming in there if it were not so empty and gray. Gray stone walls and a gray stone staircase that spiraled up, gray corroded coat hooks with nothing on them, gray metal boxes and a gray wooden stool slowly succumbing to damp rot. And silence. And above me, the flickering yellow light. I climbed the stairs slowly, in a sort of trance. I made no conscious decision to put my feet on the stairs. I just found myself moving, up and around and up and around I climbed until my legs ached and I was dizzy until I made the final turn and found my head coming level with the floor of the room in which the light burned the light dazzled me so bright and close it was and the warmth made sweat stand out on my forehead but when my eyes adjusted I felt my blood run cold. The room was a simple circle, with windows all around, and beyond them, a metal rail. In the center was a huge fire pit, stinking of burning wood and coal, and blazing fiercely, the flames licking the room's domed ceiling and sending clouds of smoke spiraling up through the open chimney in its center. Beyond the flames stood a tall, emaciated figure, grey-clad, standing facing the windows, gazing out, weathered, skeletal hands as grey as his clothing, clasped loosely at his back. As I caught sight of him, he seemed to feel it, and turned to look at me. Never had I seen a man who looked as ancient, And withered as he. Colorless eyes stared at me from deep, sunken sockets. His skin clung tightly to his bones, and what remained of his hair hung lank and thin from his spotted scalp. His clothes, an old fashioned shirt and trousers beneath a relatively modern overcoat, hung loosely on his skeletal frame, his stick-thin legs disappearing into fishermen's galoshes. Everything about him seemed gray. Clothes, hair, skin, eyes. His lips seemed drawn back, shrunken into a permanent grimace over his gums and his yellow teeth. I recoiled in horror, almost tumbling backwards down the stairs I had just climbed, and his lips twitched in a grotesque parody of a smile. He looked like a risen corpse, and when his lips and teeth parted, I cringed in anticipation of some hideous death rattle. But when he spoke, his voice... Was strong. And firm. Finally, you have come. He said. I have been waiting for you. For many, many years, friend. I gaped at him. You... You know me? He shook his head. Slowly. Carefully. No, but I knew you'd come. Eventually, someone was bound to come. He tilted his head and regarded me thoughtfully. Well, what have you come here to find? For a moment I hesitated, uncertain. I was so shocked. I could not recall what had brought me there. Finally, I remembered. The light, I said. I saw it turn blue. The old man nodded. You did. It called to you. Yes, I agreed. I suppose it did. Growing a little bolder, I asked. What was it? He chuckled, a dry rasp in his throat. (laughs) It was a secret many have looked for over the years. It is the secret of immortality spite myself. I laughed. <laughs> that, that's ludicrous. There is no such secret. The old man shrugged. Then, turn around and leave. If you don't believe me, another will come who does. And I will give my gift to them. It makes no difference to me if it is you or another. I hesitated, my eyes drifting into the roaring fire, then back to this impossibly aged old man. He met my gaze with his watery eyes and smiled. Humorlessly, his bony hand snaked out from behind his back, and he pointed with one skeletal finger to a pile of firewood stacked neatly to one side of the room. The signal fire must remain lit, he said. As long as it burns, its keeper lives they want for nothing food water sleep because they do not need it sickness will not touch them as long as the fire
1: burns
0: that that's impossible I protested weakly, and then absurdly Lighthouses don't use bonfires they use mirrors and angles and my voice trailed off weakly as a knot of wood popped in the flames defiantly the man gave a slow shrug there wasn't always a lighthouse here he replied But there has always been a fire. I turned this over in my mind, wondering at what used to be here before the old lighthouse was built. I imagined strange pagan rites and mysterious tribesmen conducting old magics. If this is true, I said, Why would you give it up? The man shrugged again. I'm tired, he replied. It is time for me to hand over the keeping of the flame. That's all. He gestured to the log pile again. If you wish to accept the gift, All you need to do is feed a log to the fire. I glanced at the logs incredulously. That's it? That's it? He agreed. That doesn't seem like how one would impart immortality upon a person. He grinned revealing long, yellowed teeth. The most powerful magics are often done in the most everyday acts, he said. Turning, the old man walked back to his spot at the glass again, his hands clasped once more behind his back, almost blending into the gray of his overcoat. Accept it or don't, he said. As I said, it's all the same to me. Someone else will come. I don't believe this, I protested. Any of this, it's ludicrous. A mad fantasy. His shoulders rolled in another shrug then leave he said but I should warn you the path is treacherous on the way back take care I turned to leave but again I hesitated the fire roared merrily behind me it's like causing the shadows to dance across the bare gray walls. All those stories of people disappearing out here. Were they the one who had seen the blue signal, been offered the gift, and turned away? I looked back at the log pile. Is that really all it would take? One log, and then... Immortality? I didn't realize I'd crossed to the log pile until I felt the rough wood against my palm and the weight of it in my hand. It was ridiculous, impossible, but what if to live forever? What wonders would I see? What inventions, what changes would come in the decades ahead? My pulse quickened at the thought. To think of all the things that I would see. My hand moved seemingly of its own accord. And with one fluid movement, I tossed the piece of wood into the fire. The flames hissed and licked at it greedily as it tumbled and lodged among the cinders, a dark shape in the middle of the little inferno. From behind me, there came a long, soft sigh, as if one lifted of a great burden. I turned in time to see the old man's overcoat drop to the floor, empty, around it, nothing but fine, grey, ash. That was a long time ago, and it did not take me long to realize the cruel joke that had been played on me. Once I had fed the fire, I was its keeper. And as its keeper, I could not leave the lighthouse. I descended the stairs a hundred times or more in those first days, but when I tried to open the door to the outside, the handle would turn, but the door would not open. It did not even shake in its frame. In those first few days, I discovered that the old man's words had been true. I did not grow sleepy, or hungry, or thirsty, and I felt in fine physical health. But I could not leave. At first, I raged against my cruel fate, lamenting my lost family, my lost future. I wept to think of all the things that I would miss. My daughter growing up. The touch of my darling wife. The things I had thoughtlessly traded for a chance to witness the future. A future that I would not see. From my remote perch in this old lighthouse standing over a tiny harbor. At times, I considered letting the fire die out on more than one occasion letting it burn dangerously low but my nerve always gave out before the flames did I threw log after log onto the fire seeking to exhaust my supply but somehow the woodpile never ran out it never even ran low I would look away, and when I looked back, the logs I had taken would have returned. Eventually, I grew to be content. The crackling of the fire became my whole world, its warmth the only caress I needed. In its light, I watched my skin grow as gray as the walls around me. I watched my clothes fade and age. I watched my flesh shrivel and contract over my bones. The boats in the harbor changed. Strange contraptions moved on the roads. The people I spied through an old pair of binoculars I had found downstairs wore odd, brightly colored clothes. The sun, moon, and stars moved as they always did, and the cliffs receded from the waves of the sea in their imperceptible crawl. And still, the fire burned. Slowly, I started to tire. I no longer recognized the world outside. It had changed without me, moved on despite me. My long, long years of solitude had eaten away at my mind and my soul. I started to understand what the old man had meant when he said that it had been time For him to pass the gift on to someone else. I found the talisman that turns the fire blue and calls in the next one to be its keeper. It was hidden in a box beneath a bench. I found it long ago, when I was still searching the lighthouse to relieve the monotony of my days. A small stone on a metal chain strange symbols inscribed upon it i don't know why i know what it does but i do tonight i will cast the stone into the fire tonight i will send out the blue signal then i will pull it out of the fire and wait and if no one comes I will cast it in again, as many times as it takes to draw in someone who will take this gift from me. Because it is time, and because the fire still burns, and must always burn. Why, I don't know, and I'm not brave enough to let it go out. So. Still, it burns, and will continue to burn until someone braver than I takes on the responsibility. Because the fire must remain lit, the lighthouse must have a keeper. Thanks for listening. Thank you again to my authors, Tracy Carville and Dude. Um Again, I will have the link to the show notes for the Discord channel. Follow the show on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. <laughs> I'm trying to only include the ones that I actually interact with, and I don't think the Tumblr even exists anymore. Also, um tell your friends about the show let's i would love i i've heard from a lot of you this week that have said that you've told a few friends and that means a lot and the more the merrier i love it so yeah if you could just do me a favor i don't have a way for you to um leave reviews anymore like i used to so if you can just tell a friend about the show or you know tell a, a facebook group that you're into or tell a twitter page or a discord server However you interact with people. Um, we're all friends, you know? Uh, just let them know about this show and if see if they like it. Okay, going on too long. I apologize if my sound in the intro and outro is a little off. My pop filter fell off and I don't know where it went. I no idea. No clue. I don't know. <laughs> so if you're getting some splosives, I I apologize. All right, I'm going to go. I usually tell you what I'm going to bake at the end of the week, and I have no idea. I have no plans for baking this week, unfortunately. So, sorry about that for those of you who <laughs> are keeping score. <laughs> no, I'm going to go. I'm going to let you go. I hope you all have a fantastic weekend. Do something fun. Do something for yourself. If you're working this weekend, then your next day off, then do something fun and do something for yourself. All right. I love you all, go get some sleep, sweet dreams.